0: Thank you for coming. Got a little feedback. All right, saints, we are in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. So if you could turn there with us. Luke 4, Luke 8, 4 through 18. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 18. That is our text for today. Luke 8, 4 through 18 is our passage. Starting in verse 4, and when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town after town came to him, he said in a parable: A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, he who, has an, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for those they are in so that seeing they may not see, There are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we pray that uh, as listeners of your word, we will listen obediently. And God, help me to be a good steward of your word. Help me to proclaim your truth in a worshipful way. God, that I will preach to your glory, not for the glory of men, but to yours. So help us today, Lord. We need you to understand, not just to hear, but to understand what the spirit has to say today through your word. So, God, it's only you who can open eyes. It's only you that can open up hearts like you did Lydia. And so, Lord, will you open hearts today? Would you create in us a clean heart? And so help us today to understand. God, I pray that we will worship in our listening, worship in the preaching. Just worship today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So... This question has been asked several times in our church, and it's only because the text demands it, but is it possible to be deceived by living a life of hearing the word and not doing what it says? Is that possible? Well, if you know your Bible, the answer is yes. James, when he wrote in his letter, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves meant that this is possible. So there could be those that are hearers only who do not do what the word says. So because of this issue here, Jesus brings this parable before the crowds in our text. In today's culture, the increase of crowds gathered and the people from town after town would have been seen as successful, especially in many church assessing models. However, Jesus did not fall track to this. His concern was more about their need to care how one hears the word. If you truly hear the word of God, there must be evidence of it. Not enough just to hear it. It's what you're doing with the word of God. Can people see what you believe? Is there evidence in your life of what you cannot see yet? Let me ask that again. Is there evidence in your life of what you cannot see yet? Can people see what you cannot see in your life? It's almost like a paradox. Like We haven't seen God in his full glory, right? But we shall live as those who have witnessed his glory. Augustine said, faith is to believe what we do not see. Then he says, the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. So we should be those that live as, I was going to say as if, we should be those that live knowing that we're going to see him and be with him. There should be conviction of that. Hearing and doing are inseparable in a Christian faith. And it's easy to lose sight of this when crowds and people come from everywhere. Jesus wants to speak so that only those who genuinely hear will hear what he is saying. So he's not concerned with the number of people gathering around him. Instead, he is concerned with the genuineness of faith and the condition of people's hearts. That would be our concern here today. I thank God that God is filling up seats here. Amen? Amen. But that's not revival. That's not, in church planting assessments, Just saying, yo, you're doing something right. It's like, well, we're just trying to be faithful to the preaching of the word, to the teaching of it. And we believe that when it's taught and preached carefully and faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully and carefully, God's people want to eat. I'm not going to go to a restaurant that doesn't have food. <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to go to a restaurant that can't cook good. There's some restaurants in Lancaster City that need some help. If you want a good restaurant, go to Flora's Restaurant. (laughs) Best restaurant in town. God's people want to go where there's food. And the Bible says that few enter it. Carnal people don't want to eat where God's people eat. And so, this is God's concern. This is the concern of Christ. It's not about the numbers and town after town people are coming. He's more concerned with their hearts. And so, this is why this parable is here today. So, four points for us today for you note takers. Point number one, the parable shared in verses four through eight. The parable shared, verses four through eight. Point number two, the parable limited. Verses 9 through 10, the parable limited, 9 through 10, the parable explained, verses 11 through 15, the parable explained, 11 through 15, and then uh, the parable call, verses 16 through 18, which is interesting based on how some Bible translations divide these verses. But I do believe verses 16 and 18 are tethered to this parable. So point number one, the parable shared. Jesus is continuing in our text his Galilean ministry north of Jerusalem, west of the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's at. And we see in this parable uh, similarities with the other synoptic gospels. Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4 also record a similar account. In verse 1 of chapter 8, we see that it was soon after the woman of the city, who was a sinner, was given forgiveness by our Lord that Jesus was going to cities and villages. He had a very busy ministry, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God to everyone. We also see women who supported his ministry, following him along with the 12 disciples as Jesus was teaching, preaching, and healing many people. So after this, the great crowd. Just imagine if there's healing taking place and there's power being displayed in preaching, you're going to draw crowds. Right. So that's the result of what's happening here. A great significant number of people gathered from town to town and came to him with this opportunity before Jesus. He would then speak a parable. So what is a parable? For those of us who really don't know that, even some of us who might be asking that question, it's interesting because the Lord sovereignly had in our exegesis class at seminary, uh, this question before us, and we went through parables in our class. One way to describe a parable is that it is an earthly story with a heavenly message. It's an earthly story with a heavenly message, which is a common definition. I thought that definition was I. It was <laughs> good, you know, no doubt. But I do like a Bible dictionary's definition where it says this. It is a story or saying that illustrates a truth using comparison, hyperbole, or simile. A story or saying that illustrates a truth using comparison, hyperbole, or simile. So a parable can be a model, an analogy, or an example that brings about a truth to those who are able to understand it. Sometimes a parable has characters in it. Example, the prodigal son story. How many know that story in Luke 15? As the father, the lost son, and the brother. I would argue that the older brother was lost. But that's another story. We'll get to that in Luke 15. But this parable has a sower, and the things used to explain the condition of hearts, and the results are given by using a path, a rock, thorns, and good soil. So the seed grows depending on what kind of ground it falls on. What's the point here. One of the points. So Jesus used this as an opportunity to speak the truth to the crowds that were many. The truth is that their hearts may not be fertile for what he was preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching doesn't guarantee salvation. God guarantees it by using preaching and teaching. Because you can preach and be lost. You can preach a powerful sermon, powerful meaning its content, and have no spirit. There's unbelieving carnal people in our country preaching on pulpits, powerful messages that don't have him at all. God saves. The preacher doesn't save. The preaching of the preacher doesn't save. God saves. And only God can prepare hearts for the word. Let's start, uh, let's start reading in verses 5 through 8 in our text. Open up your Bible. Stay, stay where we're at. Let's read verses 5 through 8. It reads uh, here in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 6, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Verse 8, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now remember the picture, there's a crowd before him. He's calling this out to the crowd. And so we do see the saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, in all three synoptic accounts. In Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking about John and how he was the Elijah to come. Jesus says in Matthew eleven fifteen, 15, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus does this again in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, when explaining the weeds. He repeats this in Matthew 13, 43. Mark also records Jesus saying this in Mark 4 and in Luke here only in our passage. So. Also in the book of Revelation, you see John the Apostle saying something similar to the seven churches after warning and correcting them. He said it this way, though. He who has an ear, let him hear. Then he says what the Spirit says to the churches. So what does he who has an ear, let him hear mean? Well, if you remember, if you've been walking with us through the Gospel of Luke, we talked about what behold means, right? To behold means to pay attention to what is about to be said. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, he describes a person with ears, which means that they can hear, not just listen and hear sound, but understand what's being said. Jesus is calling out the truth that some cannot understand what is being said and taught, and those who cannot understand are not genuinely hearing. They're not understanding what's being said. So the understanding of this parable is limited to those with ears to hear the truth in the parable. So understanding is dependent on having the means to Understand. Not everyone has ears to hear, and God does not give everyone ears to hear. What do you mean, Pastor said, so "No? We'll get into it. This reminded me of when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, who was not a believer. In John three: seven through eight, Jesus said, "Do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again." Nicodemus was a teacher. He he was someone who knew the scriptures. Then he says in verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the spirit. So the ability to understand, to hear what the spirit says comes from the spirit of God. God gives to whom he wills ears to hear. Remember who is there while Jesus is saying this. Remember, it's a great crowd that was gathering and people from town after town came to him. But within the crowd, within that crowd, did everyone have ears to hear? No. Which is why Jesus said what he said. The parable is limited, not in its content being heard. Because right now, maybe some of us here don't have ears to hear. You're hearing content, but you're not understanding. Do you have ears to hear today? The parable is limited not in its content being heard, but in its meaning to be understood. That's where the limit is. So in our second point, the parable limited in verses 9 through 10. Let's read those verses together. Oh, you don't have to read it out loud. I'll do it. Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Verse 10, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are imperable, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. What are the secrets of the kingdom of God? In answering this question, we should first ask, what is the kingdom of God, right? Well, another dictionary says that the kingdom of God refers primarily to God's kingly power exercise over creation and people. It refers primarily to God's kingly power exercise over creation and people. So the secret will be that one can see God's kingly power exercise over creation and people. That you can see this. That you can recognize that God is working. You can see it. You can know it. fact sometimes you can feel it sometimes I know God is working even when life says he's not have you been there where it feels like everything's not working out but somehow you're given grace to understand that God is working in it see you have ears to hear you can see What makes it a secret is that people do not understand and even recognize the work of God in the world. The parable before us today reveals the work done in the heart to understand and explains why people do not understand this parable does. So his disciples understanding these things is given to them, but Jesus leaves people to their lack of understanding by withholding the ability to understand what he is teaching. So he's saying it in parables intentionally, so that they would not understand. It's getting a little quiet up in here. Luke eight ten, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not understand, and hearing they may not understand. Understanding here means the ability to comprehend. And so the crowds heard what Jesus said, but how many of them could understand, comprehend what Jesus was teaching? The parable here is limited to those who have ears to hear. The ability to understand the things of God comes from God. Paul made it very clear in Romans 4, uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, he says, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So they can't submit to the law of God and they can't please him. They have total inability to do so. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They're not able to. It's inability. In other words, those without salvation cannot please God and cannot understand the spirit of God. So understanding has to be given by God. I don't know why this is so controversial. It's clear. It's right there. We cannot please God apart from God. Apart from God saving us and delivering us, changing our hearts. I wasn't looking for God. He found me. He's looking for worshipers, John 4. I'm worshiping self. I'm worshiping the God of this world and all the treasures of the world. He sought me and he rescued me and took me out of my destruction and ruin. That's why he's called a Savior. If you're here today and you understand the meaning that the truth of the gospel has transformed you into a person who has been born again, changed and given a passion for God, and you're living a life of obedience to the Lord. Listen, it is evidence that grace was given to you. It wasn't discovered. It was given to you. It's not dependent on you. Grace is not dependent on you. The word was sown into your heart. The heart that God has, has been given to you. Your heart has been made fertile. However, for those who hear and maybe even like teaching or theology, but have not come to genuine saving faith, Jesus tells us what is at the root of this issue. Jesus gives what the root problem is in his explanation of the parable, a third point, the explanation. The parable explained in verses 11 through 15. Verse 11 says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell them who the sower is in explaining the parable. The part Jesus left out of the parable when he said a sower went out to sow his seed. So who's the sower in our passage? It is the one who sows the word of God. Which Jesus was doing throughout Galilee. In, in another parable, Jesus, when explaining the parable, the weeds said that the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. It's not said here in our text who the sower is, but there is no doubt that Jesus is already doing the work of sowing God's word. That's what he was doing, preaching and teaching. That's what we do as churches, sow the word of God. That's why I tell people sow and believe that God will save. God, He'll save someone who got a jacked up sermon. So you can have a jacked up preacher with a jacked up sermon and God still saves somebody. Because it's not on the preacher. Thank the Lord. There's Sometimes I preach a sermon, man, I go home discouraged. Straight up. I was telling Wayne the other day, the life of a preacher includes some sermons that weren't that good. And y'all have to sit on that. Well, You've got to pray for us. So if we preach a sermon that's, you know, you need to pray for us. Because that happens. God will do that sovereignly to show that preacher that they need him. Sowing is what we're called to do. And then when God brings growth, that's what he does. The seed is God's Word. God's word meaning what God has spoken and written. God, the son in our text, is speaking. Furthermore, what many have heard through the ministry of Jesus is the word of God written and correctly explained. So the seed is God's word, what God said and wrote in scripture. Jesus goes on to explain the parable by by giving four conditions of the heart. Three of them reveal what happens when the heart is not fertile. The only one shows what happens when the heart has held fast to the Word of God honestly and reasonably, which can only come from God's saving work. So, in all four descriptions, we see that all heard the word, but only one could bear fruit. Y'all need to listen very carefully here. Verse 12, in the first uh, subpoint, what was sown along the path in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So what does it mean to have heard? There's a difference between hearing and possessing the word. What Jesus is talking about here is hearing with no possession of the word. Hearing and possessing makes the difference between genuine faith and professed faith. Did you hear me? There's a difference of genuine faith and professed faith. Verse 15 tells us what true hearing of the word looks like when speaking of good soil. So as we go through each, let us compare hearing the word with possession of the word. Luke 8.15 says, as for that in the good soil, this is kind of like the anchor, right, to understand the other three. In verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So hearing here means hearing the word, holding it fast, possessing the word in an honest good heart and bearing fruit with patience. That's what genuine hearing the word looks like. So in each case, we see that there was no possession of faith, but only hearing. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away from the, word, the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So why wouldn't the word sown into the heart not bear fruit? I mean, it's right there. It's a, it's a seed that's put right on the heart. Why would that not grow? Well, it is because of the condition of the heart not being fertile. The condition of the heart matters when hearing the word. What is the condition of a heart apart from saving faith? The Bible tells us the heart is stony. It's made of stone. It it is not able. It has inability to please God. It has inability to submit to God. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Ezekiel 36, 26 uses the imagery of a heart of stone that needs to be replaced. So God is the one who removes the stony heart and replaces it with a covenant beating heart. The condition before salvation is a heart that needs to be replaced, which you cannot do by yourself. I don't know if you know this, but we can't do our own heart surgery by ourselves. Good luck with that. They put you to sleep. Then they take your heart and replace it with the good one, right? Thank God you're asleep, because that would be painful. You can't do that by yourself. It takes someone foreign or external from you to do that to you. That's exactly what God has done to us. But can the seed that's thrown on stone grow? Not according to verse 13 of our text. Because the heart in verse 12 was not good soil, the devil can take away the seed so that they would not believe and be saved. Yes, the devil can play the role in blinding people from salvation. For all you Reformed Calvinists out there. Reformed theology sometimes can take away the seriousness of the blindness that comes to those that are out in the world that yet have to be saved. We act like prayer can't work. Oh, God is sovereign. He's in control. No doubt. But who use your prayer as well? Who use your evangelizing? You know, there's frozen, chosen churches that won't go out and evangelize because God is sovereign. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you're, you're self-deceived. If you hold to reform thinking and you're thinking, well, God got this. No, you're, you're not being obedient. You're being disobedient. God will use evangelism. He will use missions. He will use prayer to bring people to faith. 2 Corinthians 4.4, it's in the scriptures. In their case, people outside of the covenant, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It does not mean that the devil can stop God from saving, but the devil can take away what was sown into a heart that is not fertile for the word. This is why prayer for those who are not of faith matters. Only God can replace a stony heart with a covenant one. The devil can, can and has blinded people from seeing the light of the gospel. Some people hear but remain blind and unable to bear fruit because their hearts are hearts of stone which allows the devil to come and take away what can save them. Jesus goes on to speak of seeds on the rock in verse 13. A second uh, subpoint: what was sown on the rock. In verse 13, it reads, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Jesus explains that those who hear the word receive it with joy. Receive meaning they approve of the word. They are receptive to the word. And furthermore, they do this with joy. I believe a good example of this is conservative politicians who approve of Christian values, but do not live out the Christian faith. Be careful. Just because they're down for the gospel don't mean they're down. Some liberal politicians speak at minority churches. They approve with their mouth the church community, but deny the gospel with convictions contrary to God's word. Both are deceiving, and both can do what they do with joy, but for the wrong reasons. Just because they're clapping with us, just because they're dancing with us, just because they're rejoicing with us doesn't mean they're of us. They joy in the community of faith, but deny the head of the church. They profess faith, but do not possess it. Jesus goes on to give us what is at the root problem. The root problem is that they are not rooted. (laughs) That's the root problem. You're not rooted. But these, Jesus says, have no roots. They were never planted. They never grew. You can't grow unless you're rooted. This is why a good reception of the gospel is not a sign of favor with God. Instead, it always comes down to the evidence of an obedient life to Christ. Jesus goes on to say that they even believe for a while. Believe here means they give credit to the word and are even persuaded by it. However, this can only mean belief in its content and not in its truth the idea of the gospel persuades them it's not the truth of the gospel be careful here do you rejoice in the truth of who jesus is or do you just rejoice man the worship was banging today they killed it by the way our worship team did their thing today i was so encouraged Every time I hear Jim and everybody playing the bass and this, you know, and then Vic does this double step thing with the drums, I was like, "Whoa, these guys are amazing!" But then I had to be like, you know what? It's not about them though. Get my focus on Christ and focus on what's being said about my God. You can get caught up in that. Your your worship could end up being dependent on how it sounds rather than on the God who deserves it. See, this idea of God is not enough. It's the truth of God that should pierce your heart. Yes. Is there conviction? Is there this, this deep sense of God, the, the, the love of God that struck you to the point of obeying? You can't help but to obey. And when you disobey, you know you did wrong and you repent, you go to God in prayer. Are you genuinely persuaded by the truth? An example of this tension is found in James 2, 18 through 19, where he says in James 2, 18 through 19, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Then he says in verse 19 of James 2, You believe that God is one. You do well. Content's good. Even the demons believe. And shudder. Content is not enough. The gospel's not asking you to believe its content. It's asking you to believe in the Christ. So they do not have a fertile heart here. A good heart that upon hearing the word is proven by holding it fast, possessing it in an honest good heart that bears fruit with patience. They cannot bear fruit because they have no roots. They're fake plants in the garden. You don't plant fake plants in the garden. I mean, maybe some of y'all do that. would be weird. <laughs> I remember my mom growing up... <laughs> Puerto Ricans have a lot of fake plants in their house. That's just how we do, you know? We ain't got time to water stuff. But growing up, I remember every Christmas, my mom, she's old school, she's from Puerto Rico. We, we didn't do Thanksgiving, like with turkey, she cooked chicken on Thanksgiving, rice and beans. And then Christmas, it was chicken and rice and beans. Like, I loved it, though. I ate rice and beans every day. No complaints, right? We didn't have a tree. My mom had a fake plant that she put lights on, and it was only about this big. Never had a tree at the house. She would put little lights on, and that was our Christmas tree. And because my mom struggled, there were some Christmases we didn't have any gifts. That's just how it was. All my cousins and all them, I see them bring stuff to the house, and but that's, you know, my mom did what she could, right? She survived. She always made sure I had something to eat. I always wondered, like, why do we got a fake plant with little lights, and I go to my cousin's house, and he got a big tree over there? (laughs) Fake, but it worked. But it was never a real tree. We never watered the tree. We never thought about life in that tree. We put that tree in a box and saved it for next year. But if there's real life, you grow. You need water. You need to be sustained by grace. A fake plant has no root that nourishes it. However, a real tree that is nourished has real roots and is firmly planted. So in the time of testing away, he says, because they are not rooted, they fall away, bearing no evidence of actual possession of the word. There's a lot of fake Christians, man. People faking it. They're faking it, to make, you know, faking it to make it in church. As long as I get my religious thing going on, I can go home and feel good about myself. No, God is demanding your heart. Yes. He's demanding your life. Are you rooted? You can be receptive to the word of God and believe for a while, yet have no root. Jesus does not want fans. He wants sons and daughters who have been born again and radically changed by the word. He wants obedience, not ritual. He wants a rooted people rooted in his word. John Stott said, love is to be the soil in which their life is to be rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their life is built. Jesus said in John 14, 5, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does it mean to be tested since it is the testing that causes these to fall away? It means that when we face a trial, a situation that tugs at our heart to do what is sinful, when temptation comes, we continue to live a life of conviction. We continue to hold the word of God in our hearts and saint when we fail. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because I know how it is. I know the Christian life well. Been a Christian for a long time now. There are seasons when we fail, there are seasons when we fall short. There are seasons where I'm not looking like a good tree, I'm looking like that fake plant at my mom's house. <laughs> Testing will not allow those with a fertile, good heart to ultimately fall away. These fall away, meaning in the Greek ephistemi, to revolt or to apostatize the faith. However, a good soiled heart will bear fruit because it is rooted in the word. I remember an old Baptist black preacher that I knew back in the day always said, it takes dirt to grow. Growth can be messy, but there is growth, which shows that the heart is fertile, rooted, and genuine. So, continue to be rooted. Know that when you're rooted, it doesn't guarantee a storm free life. It just means that because you're rooted, when the storm comes and you do this, you're rooted. I'm not going anywhere. This is where I am. This is where God has me. And nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ. I am rooted. Not perfect, but I hope that when you see my life, you see a tree. You see fruit, growth can be messy, but nonetheless, there is growth. 3rd subpoint: what fell among thorns, verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Thomas Brooks said, earthly riches are called thorns. And well, they may. Brooks says, for as thorns, they pierce both head and heart. The head with cares in getting them, and the heart with grief in parting with them. Jesus is explaining to those who hear the word but are choked by the things of the world, by the riches and pleasures of this present life. To choke here means to press upon something, to crush something. Would it be a good thing to crush a plant? No, that will kill it. This is what the cares of this world and riches can do and have done in people's lives. Cares speak of anxieties, worries, and concerns of this life. Anybody there and been there? Jesus spoke to this already and commanded us not to worry in Matthew 6. Riches here mean wealth, opulence, and more than, a more than enough life. Things that crush you is what he's warning against. Riches, pleasures of this life can crush you and have crushed you. Been there, done that. So we must cling to what the scriptures say about true wealth. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. To be righteous is to be wealthy. To be righteous and desire righteousness is truly pleasurable. True wealth has a fertile heart that receives the word and because of grace inherits eternal life. Furthermore, it is a life that continues to mature, which those who are choked and crushed by care and riches do not have. Those among thorns do not mature. Their fruit does not and cannot mature. In all three situations, we see what happens to people who hear only. People who hear but do not have ears to hear what God is saying. So these three explanations give us what life looks like apart from a heart that is good soil. They do not hold fast or possess the word of God in an honest good heart that bears fruit with patience. They hear but never arrive at a saving knowledge of the truth. We should pray for those who do not have a heart that is good soil. And so our last sub-point, the good soil in verse 15, as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So what is good soil? Good here communicates quality soil, fertile soil, profitable soil, valuable soil, useful soil. It is a heart that is quality made to produce. So what is the evidence or fruit of a good soiled heart? There's only one way Jesus explains and two things that stem from that truth. In this example, he says they hold the word fast. They hold meaning they possess it. This word is mainly used in the New Testament as a verb and as an indicative, it is an action and a command. Example, the same word in Hebrews ten twenty-three. He says, let us hold fast, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Let us possess it or live as those that possess it. Can others see your life as a life, not just of profession of faith? but a possession of it. In today's culture, it may be worth asking what our life looks like online. Does our Facebook accounts, our social media accounts look like we possess faith? Do we show a life possessed by faith and, tr- and truth online? Holding fast, possessing the word describes someone whose heart has been replaced by God. The mistake people make in the visible churches that they seek to be honest and have a good heart without first asking if they have a heart. You ever ask that? How do I know I'm saved? Do I have a heart that's been replaced by grace? God is not out for a good moral life. He's not about taking your heart that is corrupt and and then just leaving your heart there. Leaving you at a place where you're unable to please him. He's about replacing your heart that beats for his glory. God is now out to change your behavior. He's out to make you born again. Where you change because you have a new nature. Your behavior comes from a new nature. This is what must happen when a heart is uh, fertile for the word of God which is why only God can do this. One of the evidences of a replaced heart is honesty. Honesty means to have a disposition for good. Honesty comes from a good, fertile heart. However, some seek honesty for a good heart. That's not what God has called us to do. We seek him to know how to live honestly. Jesus tells them what happens when the word is sown into good soil. A disposition to do good is inseparable from a good, soiled heart. People in the world can attain honesty as a way of living, but they cannot attain a heart that's been replaced. And The result is honesty, which is accredited to God's word. A good heart means functional, productive, fruitful. So when Jesus speaks of the heart, he's speaking of a person's interior. He messed you up. He messed everything up for you. What do you mean by that, Los? Well, If you're a sinner, apart from grace, and you have all these plans to please yourself, and he saves you, he messed you up. He messed with your plans. Thankfully. Because now, my plans are heaven. My plan is to see him and to be with him. I have a heart that now beats for his glory. The inside core of a man or woman with a heart that can receive the word is rooted in the word. A good heart produced by God's fruit. And bearing fruit is done with patience, as our text says. So a, a Greek-English lexicon talks about patience this way. The capacity to hold out and bear up in the face of difficulty, endurance, fortitude, steadfastness, and perseverance. To hold up in the midst of great trials. Is patience. Then it says, the act or state of patient waiting for someone or something. So when I'm facing trial, bear it up with patience. Bear it up with confidence. Bear it up in faith. Stop being weak. I'm not being nice right now, but stop being weak. We should live rooted Christian lives where the storm comes and we're not uprooted. No, we're firmly planted in God's word. And we shall show a life of patiently waiting for someone, for our Lord's return. It is to be fruitful even in the midst of facing difficulty. It is to be fruitful even when someone is difficult in your life. It is to endure, have fortitude, be steadfast, and to persevere. This is the result of God's work in the field of his people. Warren Wearsby said it this way. Jesus used the image of a seed to illustrate the great spiritual truth that there can be no glory without suffering, no fruitful life without death, no victory without surrender. For those in my hearing today who have come to saving faith, my call to you is be fruitful, grow, love, encourage. And when you're going through trial, grow, love, encourage. Don't let the trial dictate your walk. Grow, mature, seek the scriptures. Look in the mirror of God's word. And say, yo, I look ugly today. I'm not looking fly today. I thought I was good, but no, God's word's telling me that something is wrong here. And I need to repent. Look into the word for correction, training in righteousness. That's what this parable is about. And so I'll leave you with the call, saints. I just want to read the last couple verses in verses 16 through 18 and give you this charge that Jesus gives after this parable. Let us read verses 16 and 18 to close. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. Remember? Let me read that again. Verse 18. Take care then how you hear. He who has ears, let him hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He who has an ear today, let him hear. Do you hear? Do you have a good soiled heart? It might be dirty. It might be messy, Saint. But are you alive? Or do you have a heart of stone? Our prayer today is that you come to that faith. Yes, Jesus. We're not better than you here today. God has decided in his overall sovereignty to save us, to love on us, to show us Christ. He could do the same for you. Yes. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out with the brokenness. Look at your life and see, man, it got to be more than this. There is. There is. I've never regretted my walk with the Lord. Ever. Even when I had great loss and great trial, I've always seen that God is good. God is good. He created a good soul heart in my heart. And he's growing my heart. I pray that that will be you here today, saints. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We ask that you would be with us. Would you save? Would you deliver? Would you renew today, God? We pray for those that have stony hearts today, that they will come to faith. Only you can take the heart of stone and replace it with a covenant heart. Will you do that today? And for those of us who have a covenant beating heart for your glory, God, open our eyes to see your work, to testify of your beauty and worth, that even in trial, we would thrive and grow. Help us to bear fruit with patience, to do it for your glory.